All right, so last week uh, we started a series going through the Sermon on the Mount. And so we've kind of been praying through um, what we really felt God was leading us to share coming up and where we wanted to, to go. Um, you know, we spent the first kind of six weeks uh, after we launched the church going over um, our core values as a church and where we felt God was leading us into the season with Rec and, and, and what we wanted to be based on. And so from that, we really felt it was good for us as a body, as a group, to get in the Word together. You know, so if you can see our, like our first core value is the Word. So it's important we get into the Word together because we really feel that's where our foundation lies. Um, I've made mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes again, but the Word doesn't fail. Um, and, you know, leaders are imperfect. Um, we all hear off sometimes, but the Word is going to be consistent every time. It's going to be our foundation. Um, so we want to have that. And then we felt going from there, we really wanted to be centered in the teaching of Christ. And, uh, and what better place to start with that than the Sermon um, on the Mount. And so last week, as we kind of began going through the Sermon on the Mount and looking at um, the very first in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, kind of the main thing that I wanted us to see is really those Beatitudes are the characteristics of Christ. That as we go through and we look at those be attitudes and we look at how scripture lays those out what we see is this perfect amazing picture of who christ would be all throughout um, his ministry and so in matthew 5 you know this is still very on in jesus's ministry and so we, we've gone through the birth of jesus we've gone through the early life of uh, of jesus and then we've seen him go out into the wilderness to be tempted talk about establishing his kingdom and then calling disciples in and doing a few miracles. So we're talking really, really early on. But if you can look at the early ministry of Jesus, and so at the beginning of Matthew 5, it says that he, uh, he, he heals, you know, people start to follow him, and then he kind of retreats up to the mountain, and his disciples follow him and sit at his feet. And so ultimately, I think a lot of times I picture this kind of, you know, what we're doing here, Jesus standing up at a, at a pulpit, and he's got this big crowd, maybe a sound system, and he's given this big teaching to all these people. But initially it started with he was teaching his disciples. All right? And right before chapter 5, Jesus begins to talk about he's establishing God's kingdom. And so what we could also see this Sermon on the Mount, not only is it going through the characteristics of Christ, but I think the main thing I want us to get is it's the characteristics, characteristics of the kingdom. And so as we kind of go through the Sermon on the Mount together, um, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, what I want us to see is, is it, it's not a thing to beat ourselves up. It's not a, a thing to, a checklist to check off and go, oh, I don't measure up here, I don't measure up here. You know, I get angry, I, I don't have all the Beatitudes right, but I want us to see, man, if we are growing in Christ, here are some of the roadblocks, we, or here are some of the road markers we should be hitting. Here's some of the ways that we can look at our attitude towards ourself, our attitude towards our other, what we're doing in the church. It's a lot of what we're going to talk about today and go, are we growing and modeling Christ well? Um, I heard a pastor say one time that you are always, as a believer, giving a portrait of who Jesus is. It's just whether you're telling the truth or whether you're telling a lie. And so I want us to be good models of who Jesus is the love that he gave, gives to us and gave to us, the mercy that he has. I want us to be good representatives of that. And so <laughs> as we talk about, you know, building and establishing the kingdom, 
Um, you know, in the past, I've always had this mindset of that's something we do. You know, so as a church, we're going to build the kingdom or, or I'm going to build the kingdom. You know, we're going to do that together. Um, and, and it always, when we talk about we're going to build the kingdom, it's, it ends up being in very physical ways. So we're talking about building up our, our ministry, building up our church, or, you know, uh, wealth and prosperity of, of individuals. You know, we talk about physical blessings. But the more and more I read through the Gospels and look at the Sermon on the Mount and look at what Jesus actually taught people to do, the kingdom is far less about physical things and far more about the characteristics and the attitude that we have inside of us. So the kingdom is not primarily what is around us. The kingdom is who we are. And so we see that in Jesus. He did not come to establish a physical kingdom. That's what the Pharisees wanted him to establish. That's what they desired. They wanted to return to that physical prosperity in their community. They wanted to be relieved of the Roman army. They wanted to, to return to a kingdom with glory and gold and, and big physical structures and everything. But Jesus came to bring a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom inside of us that would so radically change who we were, how we thought, how we interacted people, that it would change not just that locale, but it would change the world. And so that's what we see as we look in the kingdom. So remember those two things, that as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, we are looking at what it looks like to grow in Christ. What are those characteristics that we have as we grow in Christ? And two, to remember that, is, that Jesus is teaching about establishing his kingdom, and it's not so much about the physical blessings as is it about who we are as we allow Christ to change us through the Holy Spirit. And so with that, we're going to kind of get into this, uh, this scripture. So Matthew 5, starting in verse um, 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your sh light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so as we look at this, you know, the first thing I really want to point out before we start breaking down the salt and what's that and breaking down the light and what's that is once again, I, I want to be reminded who he's, who he's speaking to. So he's saying, you are the salt. So who's he? He's talking to those disciples that have gathered near him. And so one way I want us to think about this. So remember, we have the, the benefit of time. We have the benefit of knowing what he's preparing the disciples for. He's preparing for them to start the church. And so as we see this, that's speaking not just to us as individuals, but it's speaking to us as the church. You, the church, are the salt of the earth. See, so many times um, we read scripture through our kind of American lens. And our American lens is very us-focused. It's very, you know, this is speaking to me as an individual. I need to do these things. I need to clean myself up. I need to you know, do a better job, be a better Christian. And what we have to understand is a lot of Scripture as it was written was speaking to this Jewish community that was following Jesus. The Jewish community 
was not a community of individuals, but everything was the group. Everything was the collective. Everything was community. And so as we look at this, I don't want us to kind of remove, you know, I don't want us to remove us from this. I want us to be challenged. I, I want to be challenged. I want to work to grow in Christ. I want to model him better as I'm with my family and my work and my friends and my church. I, I want to do that better, but I don't want us to forget that this is a message not just to us as individuals, but this is a message to us as a community of believers. We as a community of believers are to be salt and light, not just individuals. <laughs> the other thing I, I want to point out before we kind of dig deep into this is really kind of the whole message of what he's talking here. <laughs> and the amazing thing is what he's saying is we have an obligation to the world around us. And so as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, as we look at means uh, of growing in Christ, what strikes me and impresses on me time and time and time again is, it's, is the way Jesus teaches and the way Jesus models, service always comes first. It's not about what we can get. It's not about what we're comfortable with. It's not about what we can do. It's not about the accolades or the power or the anointing. It's not about any of those things. But as Jesus teaches, it's always about the service from the community out and how that will radically change the world around us. And so as we look at this, keep those things in mind, that we're talking to a community as salt and light, not just individuals, and that primarily as we look at salt and light, what Jesus is talking about is that we as a church have a responsibility to the world around us. Right? That moment that we accept Christ, we become part of the church. Whether you're part of a local body or not, the minute you accept Christ into your heart and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you become a part of about the, what we call the Big C Church, and that's the church worldwide, which is not uh, this physical building, this structure. Right? When we get our own building, it won't be that place either, but it's talking about every believer everywhere. Not just Reclamation Church, not just believers in Carthage, not just believers in the U.S., but every believer everywhere is the church. So I believe that this carries over to the ex expression that we have here in our local community of reclamation. But don't forget, this is every believer everywhere. So we have a responsibility to the world around us. So let's look at salt. So it says 13 says, you are the, the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And so the first comparison that Jesus makes is that we are supposed to be salt. We are supposed to be salt. And so when we look at um, kind of the, the crowd that Jesus is, is speaking to, salt has kind of two very important functions. Um, one, salt is a preservative, and two, salt adds flavor. All right? Salt is a preservative, and salt adds flavor. So remember, they don't have electricity, they don't have refrigerators, and so if you want to keep meat, for any long period of time, you, you know, you've got to salt it. You've got to turn it into basically jerky so you can, you know, keep it for a longer period of time. Same thing with fish. You would, you would pack the fish with salt and you would smoke it so it would last longer. All right, so salt is that preservative that keeps away, uh, you know, the bad, that keeps away the infection, that keeps the rot at bay. But more importantly, salt is something that adds flavor. And so I think really where I'm going to focus today is 
the fact that salt should add flavor to what we eat. All right, so when we look at this, I want us to kind of really be impressed and think about, man, if this is about our responsibility to the world, you know, what flavor, all right, what flavor do we bring as a church to the world? What benefit do we bring? So many times, I think the church is, uh, we view ourselves almost like vitamins. You know, so we're like vitamin D. I know it's in my food, but I, I, and I know it gives me benefit, but I don't taste it. It has no taste. So we kind of treat the, the, the church almost like that, like a vitamin. So we benefit our community just by being here. So what we do in this room today benefits our community. Even though they can't see it, they can't taste it, they know nothing about it, just this alone benefits our community. And in a way, vitamins are, are helpful, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. We're not supposed to be behind the scenes working and moving. We're supposed to be out front. We're supposed to be adding such flavor. We're supposed to be of such consequence in our community that we are noticed. So when you think of French fries, right, when I think of my favorite dishes, you know, <laughs> French fries, rice, things that are are naturally bland. So have you ever eaten a completely unsalted French fry? You know, it's, it's not very good. You know instantly. On the other hand, have you ever had the French fries from McDonald's that you know are at the bottom of the batch, and it's like you're just licking salt? You know, and, and you're just like, oh, these are good, but they're way too much. You know, it, so salt is something that you immediately notice when you come in contact with. Yeah, now you want McDonald's. And so... I, I love this. So think about Psalm 34, 8. David says this. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. The goodness of God is so apparent we can taste and see it. In the same way, the goodness of the church should be so apparent there's no question. The value of salt in a meal is so apparent there's no question to its value of what it brings to the table of what it adds. You know it instantly when you take that first bite. That's the way the church should be. It shouldn't have to be one of those things where we say, just get to know us. You know, you just get to know us long enough and eventually you'll see the benefit of why we're here. You know, it shouldn't be that way. Now, I know this is one of those things that's tough in the age of COVID and we, you know, we don't have the community events that we used to be able to, to go and serve and love on people, um, but I heard a pastor explain it this way. Um, he, he said people came to his church, and, and they were in a, a big city, and he said every now and then people would come to church, and they're like, oh, I work with you. You're a Christian? That's awesome. And he would be like, no, that's not awesome. Like, you shouldn't work with someone and have to come to church to figure out they're a believer. It should be apparent in the way they act. It should be apparent in the, in the way they treat you, in the way they embrace you, in the way they, they love on you and interact with you. That should be apparent just as salt is that apparent taste when we, when we grab hold of it. So I just love this that, um, I don't know about you, but as a kid, now I love my home church. You know, as a kid, we're standing in my home church. I grew up here. You know, we moved here when I was one. And... I can remember every church service, every VBS, you know, every fellowship meal was in this room, this building. Uh, and so I have so many fond memories of my early church. 
but often as a kid and I didn't really understand Jesus and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness, you know, church was not a, a fun thing that I was like, yes, we get to go to church today. You know, there was all the old people and we, we sang and we stood, uh, you, you know, but most of my goodness of Jesus had nothing to do with the church, but it's how my mom and my dad treated me. It's how they taught me. It's the love they had for people. That's what I saw and I was like, ah, oh, yes. And so even before I really understood Jesus and his benefit, I knew I wanted to be like my parents. I wanted to be like that. I wanted to be like the love they had for other people, like the, the service they had for people. There was a, a joy and a goodness in that before I even understood that it came from Christ. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted to be like. And so we are called to, to live that out as the church. And so as we look at this, you know, the one thing I, I want to ask is like, what, what makes us lose our flavor? What makes us lose our favor, flavor? And so when you look at that, uh, the Greek word in there where it says flavor, and so that's, um, uh, but if a salt loses its taste, so if a salt loses its flavor, um, that Greek word isn't just the word flavor, but it's actually a phrase in one word. So the phrase um, has lost its taste is all one Greek word. And that Greek word uh, is moreno, and that means to lose flavor. The other meaning of that word is to make foolish, to make foolish. And so, man, I love that picture because a church without its flavor is foolish. A church with no impact and influence on the world around it is foolish. So if we come here every Sunday and we sing songs and we worship, but we have no impact on the world around us, we are foolish. You can't, you can't meet the goodness of God and not allow it to infect your being. Right? Now, we can get pictures of the goodness of God. We can, um, we can get portraits of Jesus as that he's, he's for me, he, he loves me, he heals me, and we can make it mostly about us. But when we really meet the true love of Jesus, that, that in Greek, that agape love, that means service and sacrifice we can't help but let we can't help but act that way to other people we can't help but be salt that flavors the world around us so to have a lack of flavor is literally in the greek to make foolish it makes salt foolish and so you know there's lots of different little things of you know well maybe he was talking about contaminants in the salt that made it lose its flavor or you know, if you get salt around water long enough, you know, that, that, that water breaks down the saline and it gets less salty over time and all that things. I think when we understand the Greek means to make foolish, essentially what Jesus is saying is how absurd would it be to have salt that doesn't taste salty? It would be worthless. It would be worthless. If salt is not salty, you basically have sand. All right? You're not going to throw sand in your food just because. If salt has no saltiness, its value is nothing. It'd be like sand. It'd be like dirt. It's just this mineral that doesn't do anything. And so we would throw it out. And so we are to add flavor. And if the church stops adding flavor to the world around us, then we're foolish. We are foolish for doing what we do. All right. Uh, um, this, is, this is not a social club. 
This is not a place for us just to get together. I, I love getting together. I absolutely look forward to this time every week. I look forward to beforehand. I look forward to afterward, drinking coffee and talking and hanging out. It's one of my favorite parts of the week. But if that's what this is ultimately about, we've missed it. We've missed it. This is about so much more than that. So what makes us lose that flavor? What, what leads us into that foolishness? So another place that Jesus talks about this salt is Mark uh, 9 and verse 50. It says, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So how do we lose our saltiness? Well, one way is amongst us, the community of Christ, we lose peace with one another. If the church looks at us and we can't stop attacking each other long enough to be of good, why would they want to be a part of this? What would be so good to draw them in? And so one way we can lose our saltiness, one way we can lose our flavor as a church um, is to lose our peace. Another way I think we can put that is another way, way to lose our flavor is to be so focused on what we're against that we forget what we're for. So focused on what we're against that we forget the thing that brought us here in the first place wasn't that we were against this thing or that thing or this sin or that sin. But what drew us here in the first place was the love of Jesus. And so when the church begins to focus so much on the sin in the world and so little on the love of Christ, we lose our peace and we lose our flavor. Um, and, and so the other thing is Colossians uh, chapter 4 speaks to this. And I'm kind of going to read a bigger section that leads all the way to the end. But he's, he's kind of closing up and he's talking to the church. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So you have to be watchful in your prayer to make sure you have thanksgiving. So I, I, I caught that this week because I was like, oh, man, how many times am I not watchful in prayer and my prayers drift off into complaining? God, fix this. This is bugging me. You know. So be watchful in your prayer uh, in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. All right, so another way we can lose our saltiness is we can lose focus on our purpose. So Paul, as he writes this, he was in prison. He was in prison, and he basically wrote the Colossians and said, hey, be careful in your prayer that you don't complain too much. I write this as I'm in prison for the gospel. He said, but be mindful and make sure that your prayer is always, God, give me a way for the word to come out, and that when it does, for the word to be clear so people can be impacted by it. Season my words with salt. Season my words with salt. And so we can lose our saltiness when we lose the focus that we are here to impact the world with the gospel, with the love of Jesus. And, and that's simply, the gospel is simply this. 
that I'm an imperfect sinner and by that condemned and separated from God. But God loved me so much that while I was still a sinner, while I was separated from him, he sent Jesus, his son, himself in the flesh to die on the cross for me. So that if I believed in him as my savior, I would never perish, but I would have eternal life and I would be reconciled to God. So we are to take that gospel and Paul says we are to be ministers of reconciliation. So where we see people that are off, people that are broken, people that are disconnected from Jesus in the world, that we are, we are to be about the Father's business. We are to be focused on reconciling them to God. So we don't want to lose that saltiness. So let's look at light. Uh, so in verse 14 it says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house, or all in the house. In the same way, let, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So once again, just as the salt is our collective ability to add flavor to the world around us, not just to have flavor, but to point to the glory of God, same way is it with light. It says, we, we, we are a light to the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Once again, we're not an individual light. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, when the power goes out, uh, I see the foolishness in a single individual light. There's only so much it can do. So if I, I put a light in the bathroom, you know, I can't see to get to the bathroom. So we end up like putting them all over in different places in the house. So you're not stumbling, but you can find where you need to go. So there's only so much a single light can do. But when we come together as a collective, you know, a single light in the woods would be hard to find, hard to spot. But a whole city, you can't miss that. You can't miss that. Not only can you not miss that, but your ability to see it from a distance and understand the scope and the size of it. And so it's not that we shine an individual light. We, we absolutely do. But it's the power of what happens when we bring that light collectively together and we let that shine and impact the world around us. So we are not a light uh, in ourselves. Um, but, but, and as we look at this, it's not just that we are a light. But it's the light that we represent. It's the light we represent. Um, John 12, 32 says, uh, Jesus says, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So this is Jesus talking about, he's foretelling what's going to happen when he's crucified. He's going to be crucified, and then he's going to resurrect. And when he is lifted up, he'll draw all uh, the whole world to himself when he is lifted up. So remember, when we say we are lights in the world, you know, I think sometimes this, this idea can get, I don't, I'm going to say us, it can get stressful for me. It can get stressful for me that, that it's my responsibility to be a light in the world. It's my responsibility to be salt for everyone uh, around me. A lot of times when we, when we kind of take it that way, as I'm prone to do, uh, and be like, man, I've got to fix everything. I, I've got to be there for everyone. I, I've got to, you know, and it makes you... Uh, one, it makes you crazy because you, you doubt yourself, you get stressed out. It makes you extend yourself far beyond you need to go. 
Uh, and so many times, uh, I've said this before, but I know one of my great failings of the past uh, was I viewed myself as the ultimate shepherd. And so it was my job to shepherd the flock. And what, man, our, you know, what my past has taught me is that I am not the shepherd. I am an under-shepherd. Right? Jesus is the shepherd. And it's my job to help steer sheep to him. And so, so many times we can get this idea of I'm the light. Follow me. And we forget Paul says, follow me what? As I follow Christ. You're not the light. You reflect the light. And so uh, I want us to understand that, that we aren't the source of the light, but we reflect the source of the light so others can see. So others can see. Uh, you know, several weeks ago, I, I preached a sermon and compared it to the moon. All right. So the moon doesn't provide a source. The moon is not a source of light. It does not have the ability to produce light in and of itself. It can only reflect the sun. And so someone who's only seen nighttime doesn't understand the sun. But they can see a reflection of it from the moon and understand it somewhat. So that, that is us. The light has come into the world. All right, Jesus has come into the world. He's died for our sins. He's resurrected. And the light has gone to prepare a place for us. All right, that doesn't mean the light is gone now. It means that it can only be seen, though, through our reflection. And so we are that light, that reflection of Jesus to the world around us. So we as citizens of the kingdom are those who reflect the one true light of Jesus. Those who are citizens of the kingdom are those who reflect the true light of Jesus. All right. And so because we are to reflect the light of Jesus, all right, we have two responsibilities as the light of the world. We have two responsibilities as the light of the world. One, we must be visible. We must be visible. That's why he says, <laughs> um, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. So what's the first job of the lamp? To be seen, to be visible. And so we can't hide ourselves in here and hope to impact the world around us. Yes, we will slowly make small impacts here and there, but I think God has a much bigger picture in mind for us as a group of believers. That it's not that, that picture of vitamins, that we slowly, you know. Um, I, I love my, my truck, and they have these new features my older vehicles didn't have, where there's this itty-bitty pin light up at the top, so when it's dark, I can see what's in my cup holder, and I can see enough to do the radio and, and what's around me. I know, little things, and you're just like, why didn't we think of that before? You know, as I'm trying to find something in the dark, swerving on the road in my old vehicles, why didn't we think of that little bit? And so that little light is amazing because it gives me enough to see in this little, small, immediate area, but I can't drive by it. I can't see the road around me. It's not enough to find something in the seat or see in the, the back of my car. It's so limited in its scope. So I need something more visible. I need something that helps me see more. And so we can't, yes, yes, by our presence, we impact the world around us. But the point is, it shouldn't have to be this thing where like, man, I'm slowly wearing the world down. 
another 10 or so years and you'll notice the difference I make. You know, uh, it's, not, it's not one of those things where it should take years and years and years for you to have an impact. And so that's, that's the amazing thing of, about fruit is it doesn't take 10, 20 years all right, to get a tomato. If it did, none of us would eat tomatoes. That would take too long. All right? It's a, it's a seasonal thing. So Jesus says we should be able to bear fruit, and he will prune us so that we can bear more fruit. And so, yes, there are times where we lay the seed out there and we don't see anything. And that's not to mean, you know, don't keep laying the seed out. But the idea is if we keep laying seed out, eventually you're going to see some fruit from it. It may not be what we want. That's my problem is normally I think I'm going to throw out a little bit of seed and I'm going to come the next day and there's going to be this gigantic mega garden, you know, that's going to feed the whole world, you know. And so sometimes my, uh, my ego gets too big for the plot that Jesus has given me. But I'm going to keep throwing out seed because I know it eventually is going to bear fruit. And so we are supposed to be that light in the world. Um, and we need to be visible to make that impact. We need to be visible to make that impact. The other thing is that, <laughs> and I love this, um, we, must, <laughs> we must radiate light. So it's not just enough to be visible, um, but that it's we keep pushing out light even when we don't see an immediate response. And so this is where I think a lot of times we struggle as believers because we come and, and we get pumped up at church, we're positive, we go into the world and the darkness pushes back and we go, ah, and we give up, and we stop. And we go, well, I did, I did what I could, you know, I was positive this week at work and everyone else was still jerks, so, you know, it's the last time I'm doing that, you know, and we forget that, that God gives the light to radiate, you know, and so, man, I love that picture of, of light. And so when you think of the sun, it's not just that it provides light, but that the sun is so powerful that light gives heat. And you can feel that light on your skin. When you close your eyes, you can still see it. <laughs> when it's dark, the light is so bright from the sun, the moon reflects it. So that's the persistence that we have, that we're supposed to have that, that radiation, right? That persistence of light in us that a little bit of darkness isn't going to push us back. But we're going to keep moving ahead, moving ahead, moving ahead, moving ahead. All right, so as we look at this, we look at this, remember, this is not to an individual, but Jesus here is speaking to the community of believers. He's immediately speaking to the 12 apostles who are going to plant and start his church. And so as we look at this, we take this, not just as individuals, so I know it's my responsibility to be light and salt in my workplace, light and salt in my home, uh, in the grocery store, wherever God takes me. But I want to take this as a, as a call, as a challenge to us as a church body together. We are supposed to be salt and light in the world. So is our community different? Right? Is there difference by our presence here? Right? God didn't place us haphazardly in Planola County. It wasn't random. Right? He has placed us here for this time, for this season, for the people around us. Um, I know, 
I know the difference a church can make in the community. Um, I've told this story before, but when we first started Rec eight years ago, um, we were moving into the old building um, by the park, and we kept noticing there were cops outside. Um, so we would be up there all hours of the night trying to get everything set up and get everything ready. There was a lot to do with that building before we started our first service. And we just kind of noticed we kept coming out, and there was always a cop parked um, at the community house right across from the building. And we thought that was strange. Uh, I'd grown up, you know, I worked at the pool as a kid, so I'd grown up riding my bike there. And I never thought that area was that rough, but there was always a cop there. Uh, one night we were leaving, and he actually came up and introduced himself to us. And we were like, well, that's weird. That's cool. Hey, you know, how you doing? And uh, come to find out we were talking to somebody, you know, um, several months after this. Um, and they were like, oh, man. Um, God had blessed us, and we'd been allowed to, to really minister to people that had connections at the police department. And come to find out, they thought we were selling drugs out of the church at first. Um, and so they weren't there for the neighborhood. They were there for us. Um, and it was such a start, like, oh, you know, like, did not expect that. You know, I know we had some rough characters coming in and out, but I, I wasn't expecting that. Um, but God, through his grace, not, not through plan, I mean, this is not a, a plan, but through his grace and through being obedient to what he asked us to do, um, I think a year into the church, we had a, had a conversation um, with some of the police department, and they were saying, yeah, we, we pray for you guys on a regular basis because we see the impact you're having with people we used to have to deal with all the time. And so in a year, we went from the police department watching us to calling us, hey, we've got this guy. I'm going to send him y'all's way. You know, and so for me, that feels like forever ago. Um, but I can tell you that those connections are still there. We've already had them call us and go, we need cards. We want to start sending y'all people again. You know, and so I know that a church can make a big difference in the community, can make an impact. Not because we go out and we say, here we are, we're going to make this big impact. But simply doing what Christ has called us to do be salt and light, we can change the flavor of the community around us, all right? And so, are we flavored with grace? Are we flavored with mercy? Is the light that we're shining reflecting towards Jesus, all right? Uh, Y'all stand up, I want to pray for you. All right, dear Heavenly Father, uh, God, I thank you and I praise you. Um, that you are infinitely smarter and greater than we are, Father. Um, that you know us, that you love us, that you have pursued us uh, through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your mercy. Father, I thank you for the passion in which you pursue us. Um, God, I just thank you that uh, I am a product of your grace. God, I thank you as I look at this body, I see products of your grace, Father. Uh, God, I thank you. I thank you for the salt and light you've been in my life. I thank you for the salt and light you've been in the life of Reclamation Church, Father. Um, God, I just pray that as we go throughout this week, as we go from here out, Father, that you would help us be salt and light. Father, that you would help us make an impact um, for the kingdom around us, Father. God, I thank you that you alone establish and build your kingdom. Because you have such a grander picture than any of us could. Father, I think that 
I just pray that you keep changing us, you keep molding us, you keep molding our character, Father, so that we can be your salt and your light in the world. God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.